All right. Well, how y'all doing today? Okay, that's a lot less energetic than it was yesterday. Um, it has been a crazy, crazy weekend. Um, I told somebody before service, I think this is the very first time ever on a Sunday morning that I've spoken that I had to break out the Red Bull with me uh, because it's been a crazy weekend. And so, um, yeah, so I, I'm either going to be like really energetic or I'm going to crash about halfway through. Uh, so uh, we are glad that you're here today. You get me today. Kevin and his family are on vacation this week, so wish them well. Um, and so uh, today I'm excited to kind of continue the VBS vibe. Uh, if you couldn't tell, based on just everything you see with your eyes, uh, this weekend was kind of themed around science. <laughs> if you had, so welcome to the laboratory, all right? Nudge the person next to you and say, welcome to the lab. Okay, all right? Uh, nudge the person on the other side of you and say, I'm pretty sure I'm smarter than you, okay? We just need to figure that out. And if you actually did it, shame on you. I'm just, I'm just saying that. <laughs> um, since it is VBS weekend and I get to be up here, former student pastor, I thought, you know what, let's take an opportunity to have some fun today. Anybody like to laugh in church? Anybody? Uh, I was scrolling the internet and I came across, anybody share memes? That's all you text some people is just memes of stuff, screenshot. Your screenshot folder on your phone is full of stuff. I want to show you a couple that I found. Let's go to the first one here. Uh, where is it? Yeah, dinosaurs didn't go to church and look what happened to them. See, you got to tell people to go to church. Next one. Uh, I love this. Salt and pepper shakers. Guess which one is salt? You need to, if you don't get that joke, go read the Old Testament. Lot turned, yeah, okay. Uh, last one. This is my favorite. Samson, weak password. Samson with long hair. Strong password. I love that so much. Uh, we had a great weekend at VBS. Uh, I know we got kids in the house. Come on, if you're a kid, make some noise today. Come on. Well, science is interesting, and when it comes to science and church and science and the scriptures and Bible, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about these two things, sometimes there's an interesting relationship between the two. The, the Bible and science tend to be, in, in our culture today, because we tend to be so polarized by everything that it's either right or wrong. They're, they're combative. They're, they're competitive instead of cooperative. And the problem with competition is that there's always a winner and a loser. And that's the direction we go. If science wins, then that must mean the Bible loses. And if the Bible wins, well, that just means science is completely useless to us. But I think these two things can be more cooperative than we realize. There was a, a story, Craig Rochelle does a great talk on this, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm stealing a couple of his points or his, his talks uh, or messages in here. Uh, he tells this story about a fifth grade girl who is in science class and the teacher is talking about how scientifically it must be impossible for Jonah to have been swallowed by a whale. And she goes, no, uh Bible says that it's true. The teacher goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, girl, like, it's just, it, it's not scientifically possible. And she goes, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah myself. And the teacher looks at her, by the way, this teacher, come on, looks at her and says, well, what if he's not in heaven? And the girl says, then you can ask him when you get down there, okay? <laughs> like, it's either one or the other, right? 
In school, we learn about this thing called the scientific method, all right? If you're a kid in this place and you haven't learned about this yet, you probably will. Most adults in here, you probably remember this. My mom should be very proud of me. I remembered this from when I was in school. She was my teacher. I was a homeschool, class of one. And I remember this, and I'm applying it today. The scientific method has four parts to it in, in general. There's little subparts, but in, in general, you have the question, hypothesis, test, and then you have results. You draw conclusions. The basic principles of this were created by Galileo a long time ago, who was a strong believer. That was the basis of it, and it was refined since then. And I bet you didn't know that in the New Testament, there is actually a great science project. Anybody know about a science project in the New Testament? It's found in Mark chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, you can, you can bookmark it. I'm not going to read the whole thing for time's sake today because we have some VBS stuff later on, and I want to make sure we get that in and get you guys out of here in a timely manner because I could read the whole thing and really preach on it, and we'd be here for another hour and a half, but I don't think you guys want that. But there's the science experiments, Mark chapter 2. This is actually, uh, to use a scientific term, peer-reviewed. This shows up in three of the four Gospels, and it's a story about this man who is paralyzed, and he's trying to get to Jesus, and Jesus is holding life group in, his, in, in somebody's house, and people are filling the place. The, the whole room is completely full of people. To the, I, I'm a very visual person, so picture it with me, if you will, this house that's totally full. The windows are open. People are sitting in the windows, peering in. The doors open. People are hanging out outside. The back, back glass is open. People are just trying to hear what Jesus has to say. And these guys show up trying to say, you know what, we need to get this guy to Jesus because Jesus can heal him. And they can't get in. And so they have an idea. What if we don't go through the door? Because they're not going to let us through. But I saw a ladder out back. What if we just get this guy up on a ladder, get him up on the roof, and then just like kind of cartoon saw our way down through the roof and drop him down there to Jesus? That's exactly what they do. They lower him down through the roof, and Jesus rewards their faith, heals the man, frees him of his sins. Now, I love this story, and if you've never read it before, go read it. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And I love the fact that these guys dropped him through the roof. Do you realize how difficult it would have been to get him back out of there if Jesus didn't heal him? Like, we often think, yeah, okay, obviously, Jesus is going to heal him, but what if he didn't? These guys had no escape plan. They had no plan B. There was, it, was, it was this or it was nothing. This is the kind of faith that they had. The kind of trust that they had in Jesus. That if they got him to Jesus, that he would be healed. They counted on walking out of that room. I love that so much. So, the scientific method. This story, Craig, how is it a science experiment? Let me break it down for you very quickly. And then we're going to get into some really incredible stuff. The first thing is the question, number one, the question phase of the scientific method. These guys looked outside of that house and said, how do we get him to Jesus? It was a problem they had. It was a question they had. Now they needed to figure out the next steps. Here's, here's a big point, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down, because I think a lot of us need to hear this a lot more than we, admit, we would want to admit. You don't know everything. And that's Okay. That second part is probably the most important part. You don't know everything, and it's okay that you don't know everything. Our culture, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, has a very bad problem that we should all know everything. And the worst part is this has become such a toxic part of our culture that if we don't know the answer to something, we'll make it up. 
The internet is full of, of tweets and Facebook posts and YouTube videos and news articles citing people who didn't know the answer to something, so they just made something up on the spot. Because we have a need to say, I, I can't look, I can't look in, unintelligent. I, I need to know the answers to these things. One of my favorite things to do is when we teach Connect class, if you don't know what Connect is, next time it comes around, if you're new, be a part of Connect. It's awesome because uh, I teach it. Uh, but one of the things I always lead up with and say is, listen, we like to be an authentic church, and so if I don't know the answer to something, I'm just going to tell you I don't know. I would rather let you know I don't know, but I'll go find the answer than to tell you I think I know or make something up. We have to be okay sometimes with not knowing. Embrace the I don't know. And ask questions. Ask questions to God, people in your life who you trust, mentors. you got to ask questions. The second part, the hypothesis. This is one guy. I'm sure it's the, hey, y'all, watch this guy in the group. He looked around and says, what about the roof? You think we can get him up on the roof? It's not going to be easy, but what about the roof? And they're like, well, what if we come back later? Roof? Like, I think he just beat the horse to death. Like, roof. Like, we should go to the roof. This is the best option. This is my hypothesis. I think if we can get him to the roof, we can get him to Jesus. So why is this useful? It's because he used what he knew. Maybe he was a roofer. We don't know. Maybe he knew the layout of this house. We don't know. But we do know that he, somebody had the idea, let's get to the roof. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 talking about using what you know, says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In other words, use what you've got. If you've got a voice, use it. If you play an instrument, play it. If you've got great hosting skills, you better be hosting a life group. What are you waiting for? Whatever you've got, use it. All right? Third part is the test, the testing phase of the scientific method. They did the thing. They said, okay, we have this question. We have a hypothesis. We have an idea. Now we've got to test it. And so they hopped up on that roof, and they did it. Imagine if these guys had asked the question, came up with the idea, said, roof, huh? good idea. Chick-fil-A? And they just left. We would not know these people's names, that we would not be hearing about them today. Why? Because you have to do something. Scripture is full, full of opportunities and moments throughout Scripture where it was doing something was required to see the miracle take place. They had to roll a stone away to get Lazarus out. Uh, Jesus he would heal people, blind people, and say, go wash in the river, and they had to do it. Action is required. We have to do the thing. Fourth part is the results. He was healed. He was free. It worked. So this scientific method that they used, they didn't even know they were using it, worked. This was suddenly became, in science terms, this would become a law. This would say this happens. And so based on their experiment, if you will, we can apply that to our lives today. But it happened more than even they expected. The guy went in for physical healing to be able to walk again. And instead he was set free of his sin. 
You see what it says in the, in the verse there. It says, why does this, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus saying, why can this guy free people from their sin? He hadn't healed the man yet of, for, with his legs. He says, the Pharisees are like, it's easy to tell people your sins are forgiven. Who, what kind of authority does he have? And right after that, he says, get up and walk. And he walks, and that proves who Jesus is. So when scientists approach this method, if the test fails, they don't give up on science. But yet, I don't know if you guys have noticed a little thing called the deconstruction movement and all this other kind of stuff and whatever terminology you want to put to it. But for the last 15, 20 years, there has been an increasingly number of people who get put to the test in their faith and something gets failed or something doesn't work. And so what do they do? They just give up. And they walk away. Don't give up on God. Nudge the person next to, you, next to you and say, don't give up on God. Because it is an opportunity for us to have a deeper understanding of who he is. If we face adversity, if we face failure in our lives, if something doesn't go the way it's supposed to, it's not necessarily because God has failed us. It's because we need a deeper understanding of who he is. Remember, we don't have to know everything, but we should constantly be pursuing. Science seeks the truth about our natural world. It tries to figure out how gravity works, what the speed of light is, how trees grow, things like that. Scripture reveals the truth about our supernatural God. Scripture is constantly telling us more about who God is, while science helps us prove things on earth. When I think about science and Scripture... I can't help but get just a little bit excited. And I don't know if you're this kind of person or not. But so much, like I said, it's combative. It's competitive. But if you start to look at science through the lens of a creator, and if you start to look at these two things as cooperative and how they work in tandem, and how so many things that science has is proving the amazingness of God, you, you'll get excited. So can we have some fun this morning? Can I, can I show you guys some stuff? Is that okay? Awesome. Let's hear with a little bit more enthusiasm, okay? Let's, let's make sure that people online know that, that people are in the building. Can we have, can we learn a little of something today? Is that okay with you guys? So we're going we're gonna to cross, cross platform here, science and scripture for just a second. I want to go to Psalms 8, verse 3. Chapter 8, verse 3. I'm going to read two scriptures, then I'm going to show you guys some incredible stuff. Psalm 8, 3 says, When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is a man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. This creator of the universe has created everything, yet he still cares for you and for me. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Our God is a big God. And if you don't believe me, I've got some proof for you, okay? Um, in case you weren't paying attention during science class, we live on a little subdivision called the Milky Way. It's a little galaxy thrown out in space. We're a small part of it. So if you're a science nerd or a stat nerd, just buckle in. I'm about to throw up some cool stuff at you. If we counted all the stars in our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy, if we counted every star, one star for every second, just like that, naming off star or just counting, one, two, three, four. If we kept counting, it would take 2,500 years just to count the stars in our galaxy. 
which is one snippet of space. The universe that God has created is big. Our God is a big God. And he still cares about you and your problems. He still cares about your things. A light year. A light year is the time that it takes light to travel in a year. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Some of you have been trying to hit that mark when you go to work. Okay, you're not going to reach it. So a light year equals 5.88 trillion miles. A light year is so long that... Or, or, Stuff in space is so far apart that we had to use this unit of measurement. Feet, inches, miles, none of that works. We have to use terms called light years. All right? So, you see here this, this picture of a galaxy. I'm, I just pulled one from Google. This is probably isn't our Milky Way galaxy. But our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. So look back, think back for just a second. How big is a light year? Trillions of miles. And our galaxy, 100,000 of those light years, all right? If you wanted to get from one side of our galaxy to the other, you would have to travel the speed of light for 100,000 years just to get to the other end. But our solar system is just a small part of that. So the whole nine planets thing, sorry Pluto, eight planets thing. All right, next picture. This is a picture of the sun. Or no, earth, sorry. <laughs> I failed science. Okay, now let's go back to earth. Let's go back to earth. All right, this is our planet. This is a, a United States shot. Can anybody find themselves on here? Do you see yourself? Kids, you want to point to where you think you're at? Because you can't see you. You can't even see Arkansas. <laughs> like, you just see this blip. But somewhere on that blue marble is you. But yet we think so often that everything going on in our lives is the biggest thing in the world. Our lives center around us. No, we are a small part of a small, tiny planet. The next part, the, earth, or the sun. <laughs> Shh, stop it. This is being recorded, y'all. Y'all can't laugh at me. This is the sun. Now, this is what provides us with light, Right? The sun is 93 million miles away from us. Light that comes from that, we are so far away, it takes eight minutes for the light to reach our planet. Traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Eight minutes for it to get from there to us. And you see how small Earth is in comparison to that? Do y'all feel smaller than you did a second ago already? Like we are tiny. We are tiny. Earth is almost Barely too small to be able to see on this screen. It would take, I've got a golf ball here. It would take, if earth was the size of a golf ball, the sun would be about 15 feet in diameter. It's so big, y'all say how big is it? We got to do, you know, old, old school. It's so big, you could put 960,000 earths inside of the sun. It's enough golf balls, if Earth is a golf ball, to fill a school bus full, to the brim, overflowing with golf balls. That's how many Earths can fit inside of it. And it's just one of hundreds of billions of stars in our own galaxy. Let me show you the next one. This next star is called Betelgeuse. 
Don't say it three times, a star will appear. Um, but you see how big that star is and the photo watermark. Uh, to our own sun. You saw how tiny we were compared to the sun? You can't even see earth anymore. It's there, but you can't see it. That's how big Betelgeuse is. Two hundred, or 427 light years away. Betelgeuse is twice the size, not of the sun, but the earth's orbit around the sun. If earth were a golf ball, how big would it be? That wasn't a prompt, Johnson. Okay. If Earth were a golf ball, this star would be the height of the Empire State Building. Sorry, six Empire State Buildings compared to our tiny planet. It's enough that if the Earth were a golf ball, it would be enough golf balls to fill up the entire Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta. 3,000 times. Do y'all feel small yet? Next star. This is, uh, sorry, go to Musifi. No, this is that one. That should say Musifi, I think. Yeah, there it is. Musifi. You can see both of these stars. We're going to go through them quickly. Musifi, the red one, is 3,000 light years away. If Earth were a golf ball, you could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of it. Quadrillion is a big number. Let me break it down for you. One million seconds ago, how many, how many, how long ago do you think it was? A million seconds. Heard five days from somebody? Twelve days. A billion seconds. So if a million was five days ago, how long, how many, how far away was a billion? Multiply by two? No. A billion seconds ago was 1986. That's the year I was born, by the way. A trillion seconds ago, so we're working with big numbers, right? A trillion seconds ago, anybody? Shout out a guess. 1964? Nope, try 30,000 B.C. Remember, we multiply. These are lots of zeros. One quadrillion seconds ago. How long? Yeah, 30 million years ago. These are big numbers, y'all. And this is how big our God is. Come on, it's somebody. Are you excited about a big God? Next one, you see the Canis Majoris there. Uh, this is called the big dog start. No, go back. There you go, Canis Majoris. If the earth were a golf ball, it would be the height of Mount Everest. Six miles straight up. You could fit seven quadrillion earths inside of this star. It's enough golf balls to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls. Two feet deep. We have a big God. Last one. UI Scuddy. This is what they believe to be the biggest star in the universe, at least the biggest one we've been able to see and find. Its estimated radius is 1.18 billion kilometers. If UI Scuddy were the center of our solar system, its outer shell, just the part that you could see, would reach just past Jupiter. You could fit 5 billion suns in this star. Nearly 16 quadrillion Earths, and if the Earth was a golf ball, you could lay them out across the United States, and it would cover the entire country with a layer of golf balls that's 2,000 miles deep. We have a big God. Everybody say big God. We have a big God who cares about you.
Very quickly, let me wrap up here. It's not just the bigness of God that should take us by surprise. Because this big God came to earth for you and for me. He came to care about your problems. The Bible says he knows hair is on your head. Like he cares for you. He created planets for you. Scientific studies prove that the universe has about 150 astronomical constants perfectly designed for life to exist on planet earth. If the earth's axis was tilted any more or any less, we'd die. We'd either freeze or we'd burn up. If it spins 10% faster, the world would flood. We would all die. The average distance from the sun was to move about three-tenths of 1% away, further or closer, we'd die. Sir Roger Penrose was an atheist science, scientist, calculated the likelihood of the universe having such precise design was 1 in 10 billion to the 123rd power. That's a lot of, that means 10 billion times a 1 with a 123 zeros. You are more likely to win the lottery 10,000 times in a row and get struck by lightning every time you win the lottery than for that just to be a coincidence. 3,000 plus years ago, Scripture wrote, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Something that humanity, just less than 100 years ago, decided there had to have been a a moment where creation, universe, was created. Why is that important? Because before that, people just thought the, the, the universe was eternal. So if there was a creation, if there was a beginning, there had to be a beginner. So even atheist scientists are proving that there had to have been a moment where God, they don't want to admit it, but God said, let there be, and there was. Psalm 19, 1 through 2 says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. But let's get a little closer. I'm wrapping up. One of my favorite communicators, Louis Giglio, was speaking on this, this type of topic, and somebody came up to him after one of his services and said, hey, you got to talk to people about laminin. Has anybody here ever heard about laminin before? Some of you, yeah, some of you know, okay. But for most of you that don't, laminin, now I'm not a real scientist, so I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this off the internet and trusting my good friend, Louis Giglio. I'm kidding, I've never met him, I don't even know him. Laminin is a cell adhesion molecule. It literally, in our bodies, so we went from great big to really tiny within us, it holds our organs together, it holds our skin together. It keeps us alive. And when you look at it, and you see a picture, you just... You can't help but get excited and love Jesus. Because this is what the scientific diagram of laminin looks like. Go ahead and show that picture. This is the diagram of what keeps our body together. And the guy told Lou Giggle, you got to tell people about this. Because this is literally keeping humanity together. And this is the scientific diagram. This is an actual image of what one of them looks like. Go ahead and show the next one. This is a microscopic, way down deep. The thing that holds humanity together, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence. Some people may say it's a coincidence, but I don't think it's a coincidence. Because Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, And he himself existed and is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. So you may be saying, Craig, those are cool science facts. But how can we know it's God and not just some coincidence? Let me close with this. There's a mathematician named Peter Stoner who wrote a book called Science Speaks. 
And in his book, he wrote down the mathematical probability that one man could fulfill all the Old Testament messianic prophecies. These were the things that needed to be done in order for the Messiah to appear. A checklist, of you, if you will, of prophecies from the Old Testament to prove that the Messiah was who he said he was. So him and his team, they ran the numbers. They put them together. And they said, you know what, we're going to start small. We're going we're to have some error here. So we're going to start with, we're going we're to test for error, rather. We're only going to start with eight of these prophecies. Only eight of them. So what's the probability that one man would fulfill eight of the messianic prophecies? The numbers were one in 100 million billion. It's if you had a one-inch piece of paper and you covered the entire planet with one-inch pieces of paper, and on the back of one of those, I drew a little star. And I said, you can go anywhere in the world you want to, and you can only pick up one piece of paper, and it has a star on it. You win. <laughs> That's the odds that one person could fulfill that. Eight of them. So they said, okay, that's a lot. So they looked and said, 48 of these prophecies. It was one in one trillion times 13 more trillion. Trillion, 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 trillion. If each second of that number was equal to one unit of time, it would take more than three billion years to count from one to that number. The estimated number of atoms in the observable universe is about 10, to the, 10 trillion to the 80th power. Which means... Double the amount. If you were to write this number out on a standard decimal notation, it would require so many strings of zeros, the length of this number would span multiple times from earth to the sun. That's 48 of the prophecies. Jesus did over 300 of them. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. We're wrapping up. Here's why this is so important. This is why it's so important. All of this stuff would be cool science if Jesus wasn't who he said he was. But our Savior just proved he is who he said he was. So creation, this big God, Banner of the heavens and the earth, who just spoke all the things we talked about just into existence by saying a word and breathing. Who created and formed us from the, out of all that stuff, he formed us out of the dirt, made us in his image. Has part of him inside of us. Because he's, we can trust him because he said he is who he said he was. So my invitation this morning is this. How many of you in this place now realize maybe you're smaller than you realized you were? Raise your hand if you feel a little bit smaller today than you did earlier. And the question I want to ask you guys is this. And I don't want you to respond in this moment. All I want to say is this. The problem you're going through, the situation you find yourself in, the chaos of this past week, that big thing that's weighing on your shoulders right now, all the sin that you may be carrying, all the sin you have ever carried, all the sin that humanity has ever carried, God is big enough to handle it. 
God is big enough to handle whatever you throw at him. Do not be afraid to give God your burdens. Do not be afraid to hand him these things. He can take care of it. He crafted you by design. He created a universe that is bigger than any of us can comprehend. He's got this. So as we go back into worship in just a minute, I want to challenge you guys. I know, I know some of you have your kiddos in here and it may be distracting at times. I get it. But I want to challenge you for a moment today to let go of your burdens and your worries. Hand it to God and say, God, I know you're big enough now. So can you handle this? Can you take this from me? That, maybe that thing in your life that you've been holding on to because you think God doesn't care. I promise you he does. So God, we come to you this morning. We thank you. Thank you for who you are. We praise your name. You are a big God, but yet you care about us. You came to our tiny little speck of a planet to die for us, to set us free, to give us freedom. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with us. We're going to go into worship. We're going to sing a song or two. Like Kim said earlier, don't leave yet. We got some special VBS stuff to show you. Uh,